0: Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Welcome to the first season of the War on Cancer Podcast. This is the podcast we're waiting to learn more about life with cancer, both during and after treatment as loved ones and how it affects us all. My name is Sebastian and together with Fabian, my best friend, survivor and co-founder of War on Cancer, we will be inviting experts and professionals and covering topics that are relevant for everyone that has been or is affected today. Our ambition is to shed a new light on the many aspects of cancer and we hope that you will enjoy learning together with us. Good morning, Fabian.
1: Good morning, my good friend.
2: I need to think about how to phrase this, but I'm just going to put it out there. How do you think you would react if you had
1: a cancer relapse? I have pondered about it a couple of times, but I don't think I really thought deeply about it because it's unfathomable. I've just sort of made up my mind that my journey through cancer was the one journey that I'm gonna go through I would be devastated I think I would it would really tear down and ruin a lot of the life that I had built up for myself and, and the idea of this new life I would be truly sad and, and devastated yeah me too I can
2: assure you that to the second question how would you react if I was diagnosed with
1: cancer now now I would be very shocked and frustrated and sad. At the same time, because we have worked with it for so many years, we know our way around the cancer space, both with regards to mental health, as well as cancer research, cancer treatments, and the overall sort of journey through cancer, I would feel now, compared to five years ago, I would feel less afraid.
2: Yes, and me too. I I would surely be afraid if I was diagnosed. But I think that's one of the purposes of this podcast as well, to let people in on what we know and what we learn uh, throughout this season. So obviously, we're not going to focus on what would happen or what ifs. But instead, we're going to focus on having a positive mindset after your treatment outcome and after being treated as as a cancer patient and for everyone around you. And with us here today, we're going to talk with Georgie Swallow from the UK. She's had a relapse, and she's gone through cancer in more ways than most people could ever imagine. So I say, shall we get down to business? Let's get down to business. In today's episode, we'll talk about the stigma surrounding cancer and where it comes from. We're going to talk openly about what it can mean to go through cancer, how it can be different for different people. We will cover the negatives as well as the often forgotten positives. What would we have wanted to know when cancer happened to us and during the time after? And of course, we'll cover the many questions that we often get asked either through the War on Cancer app or in real life. And who's better to join us in this discussion than Georgie Swallow? Georgie is a bolt of energy from the UK. She was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma back in 2018, was put on chemotherapy and was in remission as of early 2019. Unfortunately, the cancer came back and she got a tumour close to her heart. She restarted chemo, did a bone marrow transplant and is now in remission. Welcome Georgie.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Fantastic to have you here. Georgie, uh, first things first. We know uh, that you had your six-month scan as of last week. How did it go?
3: It went very well and I got the news the other day that I have a clear scan and I'm in remission and I'm finally all done with cancer.
1: Wow, that is
2: really, really great to hear. And We've had some pre-chats before this episode recording and we're We've gotten to know you and we're both so happy that you're that you're
1: actually doing well now. Thank you. What was your feeling when you heard that you're cancer-free?
3: Just the biggest weight off my shoulders. I think this scan finally felt like I can put cancer in my rearview mirror and I can finally start moving forward. And yeah. I think it's only taken till this scan for me to go, Georgie, take a deep breath. You're done. You can start moving on with your life because I think... Up until this point, I've been going. Oh, I'm just going to relapse. It's going to come back. Whereas now I can go. Look, this is it. I've had my turn. I'm moving on.
1: Back to business as usual, Ben.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and did you did you
2: celebrate?
3: Yes, we had a couple. I will say glasses to not admit how much, (laughs) a couple of glasses of champagne to celebrate. So it was really nice, even though we're obviously all still in isolation. It was nice to be able to celebrate and, and have some fun.
2: Well deserved, well deserved. So obviously, we know that our listeners want to get to know you a bit better. So let's backtrack from this very positive news to something else. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about who you were and what you were doing before you were first diagnosed back in 2018?
3: Yeah, of course. So when I was diagnosed, I was 26. I was working as an executive assistant in a recruitment company. And I was very, very social. I was always on the go. I would never be at home for more than a night. I was constantly with friends. Constantly wanting to hang out with people and be active and go on adventures. So, when all of that changed, it was a big adjustment. But I was, I think, like your average 26 year old, you know, I was social. I like to think quite fun. I have a couple of pugs. And yeah, I think probably still as much of a positive person as I am now, but I was just able to do a lot more then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And then you got your diagnosis. How mm. did it happen?
3: So unknowingly I was having symptoms for about a year and it was only once I discovered that I had cancer did I actually find out that those symptoms were related so for the best part of a year I had this really bad like itching all over my body it was the strangest thing and I went to the doctors about 5 times and they said it was allergies or stress related or eczema and we went down loads of different routes trying to work out what it was but alongside this I was getting really really tired and I'd go out with my friends and it'd get to nine ten o'clock and I'd think I physically can't do this I have to go home and I kept getting like colds and flus and infections in my chest and it was funny because my mum always said to me oh you're so sickly there's always something wrong with you and I would be like no there's not you know it's England, it's rainy, it's cold, I'm always going to have the sniffles. (laughs) Um, And it was probably a couple of months before I got diagnosed that I started losing a lot of weight. I started getting night sweats really badly. And I'd gone into work one morning and discovered this really big lump on the side of my neck after having what I thought was the flu for about three weeks. And everyone at work said, right, I think you need to go and get that checked and naturally... Google diagnose yourself. And I said, Oh guys, I've got Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they thought, well, Don't be so ridiculous. And I went to the doctors and and they just went through this checklist and it was lump in my neck, night sweats, weight loss, itching, colds and flu, fatigue. And I was going, Yes, yes, yes. And he said, Look, I'm sure it's not, but let's fast track you through some scans. And Two weeks later, I got a call from my professor, and he just said, You've got stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, and you need to come to the hospital this afternoon to start your steroids because tomorrow you're in chemotherapy. So it was a bit of a whirlwind.
2: And stage four, when it comes to Hodgkin's lymphoma, can you tell us more about stage four compared to other stages?
3: Yeah, of course. So I think with Hodgkin's lymphoma, it depends on how much it's progressed around your body. So for me, when it was diagnosed, it was in both sides of my neck, both sides of my chest, under my diaphragm and in my left lung. And one of the masses in my chest was actually about 30 centimetres. So it was pushing on one of my airways. So the closer we got to diagnosis, I actually couldn't get a full breath in, which is why I started chemo so quickly. But yeah, so I mean, it's one of the things with Hodgkin's lymphoma is stage four, I know with a lot of cancers is, is quite a terrifying word to hear. And it definitely yeah. was for me, but it's hopefully and usually a highly treatable cancer. So even if you're at a higher stage, they can give you very aggressive chemotherapy, which should hopefully do the job, hopefully.
1: <laughs> and it did. And it did. <laughs> this time. Georgie, can you elaborate a bit on the thought process when you heard you had cancer?
3: Oh, honestly, I think when they first told me, I don't know if it was shock or if I just put my business hat on and I went, right, we have things we need to do. We need to create an action plan. And in every appointment I went with my parents and they were just emotional and we'd come out and they wouldn't have taken in any of the information. So I felt like I had to be the one to sit and listen and hear what was happening, hear what like the next steps were and and what we needed to do. So for the first, I don't know, I guess for the first few days, the first like week or so after chemo, I was just very much, I need to know what's going on. I'm okay. I think when I got the news, I said to my parents, I said, I'm not starting chemo tomorrow and having my hair fall out. So we're having a haircut tonight. I had like acrylic nails and I was like I need those off I want to go get comfy clothes I was just right here's the list this is what we need to do and I think it was after my first chemo that it really hit and that's when I started getting really emotional and just overwhelmed with the fact that I had stage four cancer and I was I was just going through chemotherapy it felt so like sudden
2: yeah yeah I can't even imagine what it would be like to to go through something like that. And just sort of backtracking a little bit to mm. uh, when you self-diagnosed and your your friends sort of laughed it off. How did they react when they got the news?
3: Um, they were probably more emotional than I was at the time because when I was diagnosed, I had my girlfriend's come over and I said, "Look, this is what's happening." And they were crying and they were upset. And I felt like I was the one comforting them, but not in a negative way. I was just like, well, these are the facts. And it hit other people a lot quicker than it hit me, I think. I think you hear cancer and you just think, oh, my gosh, it's the worst, especially stage four. You know, I think you associate cancer, obviously, with quite a negative connotation. So they were all really, really emotional.
1: So why do you think that is, Georgie? Why do you think that people have such a negative attitude towards cancer?
3: I think it's from what we've seen and what we've learned of cancer. Before I was diagnosed, I thought cancer was a death sentence. I thought you get cancer and it's bad news. It's you're very sick, you're very poor, you sit at home. And I think that's just because At the age I was diagnosed, I'd only seen grandparents who were already, you know, quite unwell go through cancer and it wasn't always the best outcome. I think movies, cancer is always the thing that kills everyone off. It's just always is associated with something negative. And it's only when you are thrown into this community or like the club that no one ever really wants to be a part of, you realise that's not what cancer is. Cancer isn't a death sentence. Cancer isn't like the worst I mean it's obviously not the best thing to ever be told you can have but it's it's not the end of the world you can live with cancer you can live well with cancer you can go through treatment and still do things so I think I don't know I I guess it's just how we sorry I've lost my sentence no worries (laughs) (laughs) that's the worst thing that's like that's left over from all of this is my chemo brain chemotherapy has made my brain absolutely garbled. But no, I think it's just the way we perceive cancer from what we're taught through films, through media, through charities, through experiences. It's just very much cancer is bad when it doesn't have to be.
2: This is something that we, me and Fabian, we often discuss. Where does this stigma come from? Where does the fear of cancer Mm. stem from? Who decides what cancer is? And we have a small hypothesis, uh, which is that cancer has obviously in the past been a death sentence, pretty much for everyone. And we have moved along from that where Today, two out of three people survive, but sort of society hasn't really catched up. So that could be one explanation.
3: Yeah, I think that's so true, because I've been quite lucky and I've learnt a lot about, you know, research projects in the UK and and how treatments are being developed. And it's just mind blowing to know that 10, 20 years ago, the difference in the treatment we're getting now, it's so much more tailored to the person and side effects can be somewhat controlled a lot more than they were 20 years ago.
1: Certainly. And I think another reason is that there are so many stories being told about the people that don't, unfortunately, do not make it mm. through a cancer journey, whilst there's way too few stories portraying or showcasing people like yourself. We don't want to bash on the charities, that's the thing. But of course, charities do play a part here because they do send out a quite a negative message of cancer but let's um
3: no but that's true isn't it because at the end of the day i think if a charity's advertising oh this person has cancer but they're perfectly fine they're going to be perfectly well people don't feel as affected and they don't sympathize so then they don't want to help which unfortunately is just the nature of it all it's if you have someone advertising you know they've got cancer they're really unwell and unfortunately they didn't make it people go oh my gosh that's awful and I really want to help yeah and so I think it's it's one of those things isn't it it's like you can't really blame the charity for doing it but we just need to open the eyes of everyone else to, to say that that isn't just what cancer is
2: yeah, exactly. We, we need to have more stories about what cancer could be in a positive yeah. sense. I believe one of the big problems inherent in charitable work as well is that you need to propel sort of the story that gets people to donate, which is great in a sense because donations is what really fuels clinical research, which leads to more people surviving. But there yeah. needs to be a middle ground. I remember when Fabian got diagnosed, I really thought that my best friend was going to die. And that was only due to the information that I had received during my upbringing about cancer, which is not often that good.
3: No, I think that's so true. And I think, I mean, my friends had the same response when I told them. It was just immediately, this is bad news. And that thought hadn't even crossed my head yet because I'd gone, right, it's, you know, it's six months of chemotherapy and then I'll be out the other end. That thought only really came in. When I relapsed, but for my friends and my family around me, they just went, oh my gosh, she has cancer. This is bad. She's probably not going to make it. Whereas I'm sitting there going, I will be fine. I will get through this. Like, that's not happening here.
2: But what happened earlier when you when you stumbled just a little bit on your words, sort of going back to, to mm-hmm. having gone through chemo, chemo haze is something that most people that have undergone chemo knows about. How do you feel that your therapy or your treatment has affected you now that you're sort of in the green?
3: That's definitely the hardest or one of the hardest things for me to handle. I think it's knowing, yes, I'm through with cancer, but... I've been left with some pretty harsh effects because of the treatment. And like I said, one of those is that chemo brain haze and trying to hold a conversation or trying to get back to normality where you think I want to have, you know, a, a serious conversation with someone or a somewhat intellectual conversation. And you just I mean, it's like you're you're speaking your sentence and suddenly nothing it's like your brain just turns off. Yeah. And I hope that that's something that comes back. But um it makes me laugh. If I speak to friends who have gone through chemotherapy and they've experienced something similar, if I'm trying to say a sentence and it genuinely comes out like gobbledygook and I will be making words up, they'll go, oh no, I understand. Because you just, it's like a different language. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, the hardest thing is, coming out of treatment and knowing how grateful you are to be out the other side. But the lasting effects are pretty hard. And I think a lot of people around you go, "Okay, so you're done with cancer, you're fine, on with life, you know, everything's back to normal. Whereas you're left feeling a lot weaker, you know, your brain capacity probably isn't where it was at the start. And obviously other like medical effects. I think that's quite hard to think. Everyone just goes, right, well, you're well now. So Bye. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm still a little bit broken. I just need a little bit extra time.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean you're highlighting a few things here. First of all, as someone who has finished treatment some two and a half years ago, I can assure you that a chemo brain is gonna disappear and you'll get your sort of normal brain function back Good. within uh, some period. Uh, I do remember I finished treatment in 2017 in December and the whole of 2018. Now, looking back at it, I struggle to remember much of it. So I think that I was, or perhaps it was the chemo brain or it was just the fact that I was burning out through working with war on cancer. I'm not sure, uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but it, I can assure it's gonna go back. But what you're talking about, the other thing, is so common that what you're referring to with friends just assuming that as soon as you're finished treatment, you're back in the game. There's actually a term for it called the cancer hangover, uh, which really portrays the mental health drop mm-hmm. once you're finished with treatment. And from our understanding and from what we have looked into when it comes to sort of cancer and depression and cancer and, and mental health, cancer does inflict a trauma. Yeah. Uh, going through cancer is a traumatizing experience. And A trauma that is undealt with can lead to either PTSD or clinical depression. In the case of cancer, research shows that 22% of cancer patients get diagnosed with PTSD or get undiagnosed with PTSD during the first six months, whilst Mm. 25% get clinical depression. And this is the problem, right? Because within most healthcare systems that we have heard, this is not... like being communicated to the patients. This is not being properly dealt with. So as a cancer patient, you get your clinical treatment from your hospital. However, your mental health issues are untreated, Mm -hmm. which is why once you're through the clinical treatments and think that you can begin to relax, that's when you fall from a mental health point of view. And I think that's what you're referring to. But out of interest, when it comes to mental health, what did your doctors tell you, if anything?
3: I mean not a lot if I'm perfectly honest I think I've heard you say this before you know when you go and you're sitting with your doctors and they give you the diagnosis this is the treatment this is the medication you'll be on if you get this side effect it's this but when you ask the questions about how is it going to affect me mentally or how is it going to affect me in my social side they don't have anything to say they just think well you know This is the medical stuff. This is what you need to know. The rest, I'm afraid, you're just going to have to figure out slightly on your own. And it was hard. I mean, the mental health side of it probably affected me more when I finished treatment the first time. Because I think for the first six months, I was very much find the fun, positive head on. We can get through this. And it was when I came off treatment, I felt lost and I just really sunk into quite a deep depression and when I reached out for help I went to my nurse at the hospital and I said I really need some help and they actually offer psychological support which I wasn't aware of and I said please can I receive this and they said yes but there's about four month wait list and I said okay well maybe jot me down and and hopefully I'll be fine and they actually called me I think it was about two months later as a checkup and they said You know, a lot of people, when we call back, they say, oh, I'm fine now. I don't need it. And I just thought, so these people are going through, I mean, including myself, like you're going through such a mental health low and you're just having to suffer it out by yourself or wait it out by yourself in the hope that you get through and and get some support from the hospital. It's, It's quite a sad process.
2: Yeah, I I can imagine. And what did you do specifically to to boost your own mental health at time of diagnosis and and during the time after? I know you're active on social media and you're very sort of sharing about your story, but tell us more about that if you can.
3: So when I was first diagnosed and I went through treatment, I felt very alone and very isolated I'd never seen anyone else my age go through cancer I didn't know anyone with cancer and I just felt like I was the only person in the world going through what I was going through so I started sharing my story on Instagram and to be perfectly honest it was more for selfish reasons than anything else I just found it a really good outlet I would write down what I was feeling. And the minute I got it out there, I felt like it was, like, lifted off my mind. I'd let it go a little bit. And through doing that, I started connecting with other young adults, going through something similar. And I realized, oh, so other people are sharing their stories. So I started searching for, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma or young adults with cancer, all on my social media and connecting with people. And it was through that that just made, I think, probably the biggest impact on my mental health to know that I wasn't alone and to know that there were other people that, as much as I hate to say this, but like going through something similar and who understood. And it was just the best thing I started doing with sharing my story because it just brought me such an incredible community of humans that I just didn't know were out there. And I think that's been the biggest help for me in my mental health and I also would do fun things so I would go to chemotherapy in fancy dress or I would compare my bald head to anything and everything I could find I think I was walking around a I'm not sure if if you'll know this but you know Harrods in London that really nice department store And I was walking around with this giant Christmas bauble and showing everyone how it was exactly the same as my bald head. And my (laughs) mum was dying inside, I can imagine. (laughs) But for me, it was... To get through it, I had to find the fun where I could. And even if I was having the worst few days or... I was unwell. I was in hospital. The minute I started feeling a bit better, I tried to find something funny about the situation or I tried to find something a bit lighthearted so I could not just focus on the negative connotation of it. But saying that you're always going to have bad days. Like when I relapsed, I didn't have this mindset at all. Things were traumatizing, going to the hospital even just going to the hospital for a blood test, my mum would have to drag me through by my foot because I was like, I don't want to go in. And on, I think in periods of your life where it's like that, having a community of people that you can reach out to and say, guys, I'm not feeling so good. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And hearing them go, I get it. I hear you. I understand you. Honestly, it did me the world of good.
1: Yeah. You've been touching upon several sort of different coping mechanisms for for preventing clinical depression and trauma. And this is, it's so wonderful to hear because, I mean, the whole purpose of War on Cancer and what we're trying to do here is to find a recipe on how people affected by cancer, how they can improve and boost their mental health. And mm-hmm. the more we understand and the more we know, the further we will develop the War on Cancer app. So we're trying to mimic and sort of almost replicate the experiences that people that have gone through cancer and come out of it positive or coming out of it more positive individuals uh, than they were before and I mean you were touching upon writing which is a well-known coping strategy the other one is a social support as in having people around you that understand what you're going through another coping strategy is helping others in fact by helping others we heal our own trauma did you feel that sharing your story had a positive impact on other people and how did that make you feel
3: I hope it did and I think from a lot of like the connections I've made through social media that has been the case I think there's been so many times that I've put a concern a worry a side effect anything like that out there and having people reply saying thank you so much you know I thought I was the only person who was going through this it's great to know that I'm not alone or like if I'd learned you know a tip for coping with something and someone goes ah oh, that's really helped me that just if I could help one person going through this whole thing I would have been ecstatic but I've been very lucky I think to have people say you've helped me do this and it just it just fills me with so much joy and that in itself just makes you more positive I think.
1: Yeah, there's so many things that I felt myself through my experiences uh, Mm. through through sharing. I mean, you and I are quite similar in that sense. But Uh I want to talk to you a bit about this whole thing of being so... I mean, you are, even though I can't see you, I can feel your positivity. Uh Uh, And you are one of those people that I think probably well-suited to deal with something like cancer from the beginning, if I get you right. Yeah. Uh, I mean we all have different backgrounds and we come from different experiences in the past. And depending on our backgrounds, we have different mindsets when it comes to going into something like cancer. But for people that can't relate to, I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners cannot relate to feeling this positive about Mm -hmm. their experiences with cancer. I mean, what would would be your sort of main advice for them?
3: Probably a few things. I think most importantly is try not to compare yourself to someone else's cancer journey if you're not feeling as positive because I know on days where I felt a bit darker and I would see other people on that specific day really thriving and really I'd think oh Georgie you're failing but that's not the case every day is different every person is different every journey is different so don't compare yourself too much and I think The most important thing is if you are struggling is to reach out, is to connect with people who are going through something similar because the chances are they have felt the exact same way as you have and speaking to someone about it will help you. And it's just, I mean, it's taking things day by day. I'm very positive and I am very much like I don't want that to be the thing that breaks me. So I try and very much I am positive and I want to try and bring like joy to other people but that's not going to be the case every day I have days where I think right my bed is where I live I can't face the world this is where I shall live for the rest of my life yeah accept those days have those days and if you need to communicate with other people like your close friends or your family like communicate what you need on those darker days and the minute you start feeling a little bit brighter You'll have those days where you just wake up and go, oh, I do actually feel a little better. And just maybe give yourself a little push, give yourself a little edge out of the bed and just try and, try and I don't know, keep going.
2: <laughs> yeah, keep going. That's, that sounds I th- sound advice.
3: I think, I think it's just what everyone needs to do. When you've been given a trauma to face or a diagnosis like this, you just have to keep going. Like you have to take it day by day and just know that You will get through this in one way or another. You will be able to cope and you need to know that you can cope.
1: It's becoming more and more evident, at least from my point of view, that what you're experiencing is something that we have looked into, which is post-traumatic growth. It is a term defined as having gone through something extremely challenging or traumatizing and then coming out of it on the other side, feeling uh, as a more happy individual. And the growth normally happens within five different areas. Where the first one is improved relations with others, which means basically deepening your relationships with core friends. The second thing is uh, new life experiences. So having gone through something like this can lead to a career change, or perhaps, you know, getting a divorce or something that you have been perhaps thinking about in the past, but through this traumatic experience, you decide to go ahead with it. Uh, Thirdly, increased spiritual development. And fourthly, an increased appreciation of life. And the last one is a higher confidence in your own strength because you've been through something so painful, you realize how strong you actually are. Can you relate to these five areas?
3: I think I definitely can. It's funny, I never want to thank cancer as such, but I'm so grateful that I've I've had cancer because I think I've learnt and developed so much in the last, you know, 18 months to two years than I have in my entire existence. I think it's grounded me a lot and it's made me I don't know. I think it's just taught me what I want from my life more so than anything. It's made me appreciate the people who I have, you know, close by. I think a lot of people know that when you go through cancer, it can really affect your relationships and your friendships. And you really learn who, who's going to be there for you and who are the important people in your life. And, and it's definitely done that. It's made me just appreciate those, those people um and I think I don't know I think I've probably learned I'm a lot stronger than I ever thought I was just through getting through this and coping and trust me I don't think I've coped all that well all the time but coming out the back of it I've learned I'm so much stronger than I ever thought I was and it's I don't know it's just such it's funny everyone always says you know with something like cancer, you wake up one day and you just know immediately what you want to do with the rest of your life. And that didn't happen for me. But what it it has taught me is that I don't want to waste time doing things that I don't want to do. I think I will still be sweating the small stuff, but it's appreciating how small they are in the grand scheme of things. If that makes sense, it's, it's knowing that those little things that yes, obviously, you're still going to be a, you know, Frustrated that you have to do the dishes, <laughs> but something that would have maybe upset me before probably doesn't have the same effect on me now. And it's, it's, I don't know, I just, in so many different aspects, I just think it's made me realize that I think I can probably achieve more from my life than I ever thought I did. I never thought I'd be able to, this sat, oh my gosh, this is going to sound so self centered, but I never thought. I would be able to achieve what I have and to achieve what I have whilst going through cancer has made me think right you know what if cancer hasn't stopped me and it's taught me so much then I am going to achieve something with my life and hopefully that will be helping others and bringing other people joy and helping them realize that they can do the same thing. I think that's probably the biggest growth that I've had.
2: You're such an inspiration Georgie it feels like you're you're really in tune with, with how you've handled this whole cancer experience. And I think you, alongside with Fabian, inspire a lot of people into thinking that cancer can actually lead to something positive. And just just being able to think that it can lead to something positive, I think will have a huge impact in many people's lives.
3: Mm. Thank you. That I mean, it means a lot. I realise, honestly, I think the biggest takeaway and the biggest positive I can take from this is the community that I found and the relationships that I've found and how much I appreciate all the people that I've met and I've you know I've made friends because of cancer that I know I'm going to be friends with for the rest of my life and it's brought me to meeting so many people even like yourselves that I just never would have have met or connected with without cancer and I'm and I'm so grateful for it.
2: And, and a quick question on that. Ha, has it also led to you sort of stepping away from certain friends that couldn't handle this whole situation?
3: Definitely. And I really struggled to understand this when I was going through my first diagnosis that some friends, you know, a couple of friends really rallied around. I had one friend who I honestly don't think I could have got through without. And other friends just sort of dropped off the radar. And I just thought what's happening? And I don't know if it's a case of they've had a traumatizing experience with cancer before, so they couldn't face it, or they didn't know if I was well enough to do things. So they just took a step back. Or I think there are so many different reasons, but it's made me appreciate the people that are still here. But it's also made me go, you know what, if you can't be there for me in a way that I need you, then we're not as connected as I thought. And we don't need to be as connected. We don't need to be as close. We can hold each other, you know, a little bit further away, where those like boundaries are, I guess.
1: Yeah, I often think of my cancer experience as a natural filtering process of my friends. I think I have about 50% of my friends have remained friends and 50% just faded away for the same reasons that you said. I mean, perhaps they were too afraid to deal with it or perhaps they weren't real friends in the first place, you know.
3: (laughs) No, I agree with that entirely.
1: Yeah. What is your biggest regret from your sort of handling of the cancer experience? Would you do something different? Yes. Yeah.
3: I mean, I obviously, I'm sure loads of people say this. They don't want to have regrets and see them in that way. But in terms of what I would have changed, I think it would have been to communicate what I needed better. When I was first diagnosed, I didn't communicate with my friends what I needed. and I think that was partly because I didn't know what I needed. You know, this is such a new experience. And I think that led to me feeling quite distanced and isolated from the people I wanted around me most because they didn't know how to help and I didn't know how to ask for help. I should have said, Guys, I'm feeling pretty good this week. Could someone come and pick me up and we maybe like go out for dinner or we go for a drink? Like I still wanted to be me and social and have fun. It would just be, you know, slightly more tame. But I didn't know how to communicate that. And I then, really struggled with some relationships because I thought, well, they don't want to be around me and they don't want to be close to me. And it was only when I relapsed that I communicated with my friends saying, look, this is what I need. This is what I didn't like the first time around. And they just went, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know how to help. And I didn't know what you needed from me. And I think that was the biggest takeaway is I wish I had just communicated better with the people around me what I needed
1: communicating your needs yeah i feel the same way actually about my experience i think i was like very open in one way in in the blog that i was sharing i wrote about my emotions and feelings and sort of everything i wrote in a truthful and open way but i probably could have asked for more help from my friends than i did and i think it's partly because of you know you don't want to bother people perhaps because of pride that i didn't do it but i second that
3: yeah And I think it's also like, for me, I just thought, oh, you know, it's such an inconvenience because for me, it was, I'd need someone to come and pick me up and then they'd be hanging out with the cancer girl. Like, I just thought I was a bit of an inconvenience. I was like, I'd rather just not ask. And if someone, and I said this about chemotherapy, I said, I would love my friends to come with me to chemotherapy. And I said, I would love you guys to come to chemotherapy, but I'm not going to ask you directly because I don't want to feel like you have to because it's taking holiday from work. It's a long day at hospital driving in and out of London so it was a big like what I felt was a really big ask so for when people said Georgie what date can I take you to chemo I'd be like oh that's amazing but I wish I'd just said you know you take me to chemo next week <laughs> like, <laughs> no. no choice let's go
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah people want to be controlled and and <laughs> <laughs> exactly I'm sure yeah. that's the
3: basis of all healthy relationships
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Georgie what's uh, what's the weirdest the most ridiculous thing you've heard about cancer from someone
3: um I think one of them would be I was told to stop chemotherapy stop the drugs and to just take green tea (laughs) and I know obviously we've discussed this before I think herbal methods and you know diet essential oils well they can they have their place and they can be really beneficial but sometimes i think if your medical team advise you to have chemotherapy i would do it i mean that's just my that's consult just my your view. doctor yeah yeah and i don't think with the cancer that i had green tea would have done the job
1: <laughs> probably not i remember you mentioning in the last recording about you should remain bald
3: (laughs) i forgot the amount honestly it actually shocks me quite a few people say this and i would like to say it was a really nice compliment but i don't think my head was that great of a shape but the amount of people that said you should stay bald when all this is over i thought you know what why don't you stay bald you shave your head and then say that to me.
2: <laughs> exactly. That that's how a supportive friend should act. Shave your own head. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. I am. Oh, bless. I had so many friends at the start say, you know, do you want me to shave your head too, and I just thought, look, if I don't want to be bald, I don't want to be looking at a bunch of bald people too. So come on, keep your head. <laughs> <laughs> no, they bless them. They were brilliant, but I just thought I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it to them. I just couldn't ask another girl to shave her head for me. I, like, no, no.
1: I feel you some of the weirdest things that I've heard is I love the conspiracy theorists the most so someone told me like you know cancer was invented by the CIA as a sort of population control measure someone else said cancer was sort of invented in Italy in the 17th century
3: oh that's very specific
1: I know I know which is usually the case with conspiracy theorists Mm -hmm. they love their facts
3: Honestly, I also, I think I've heard before that there is, you know, the ultimate cure for cancer. You know, you take this tablet and the next day you're better. And I thought, if that's the case, whoever's hiding that is, <laughs> is not very nice. <laughs> you're not a good human. Um, but, you know, it's cancer was invented so that the pharmaceutical companies can make loads of money. And of I think, all the, honestly, people can come up with the most ridiculous things. <laughs>
2: let's talk a bit about the current situation so Mm. at the time of recording uh, we're in a pandemic the corona pandemic has that affected you in any way in in many ways i would assume but as somebody that has just gotten the good news of being in remission do you know if you're immunocompromised in any ways are you taking any measures in order to avoid getting sick with corona
3: Yes so because I'm six months out of my stem cell transplant and I had lymphoma it means that I'm in the vulnerable category so in England that means I have to stay in my house I can't go for a daily walk I can't go to the shop I'm allowed to stay in my house and I'm very lucky I've got a garden and that is the confine of the area that I can go to and it's been really tricky It's funny, I sort of have like two takes on this. One side of my head, the like positive side goes, Georgie, you've been in practice for this moment. Like you've spent two years pretty much isolated, being scared of germs, having to use hand sanitizer. So you've got this, like you've been revising and now this is the test. But then the other more realistic side of me goes, this is really unfair. Like I've just finished treatment. I was very, very nearly getting my life back slowly starting to have a bit more independence and then this happens and they say sorry you're relatively healthy but you have to stay in the house now because you're vulnerable and when this all happened you know five weeks ago it took a massive toll I got really emotional I was crying every day I just couldn't pull myself together And it took about a week or two to really adjust. And I just thought, this isn't fair. I don't want this. You know, I want to go on with my life. And I feel like the minute I was just about to be able to, it's been taken away from me. And I think this is like the worst thing to say, but I imagine people who have experienced cancer will understand. The only highlight of it is, is that everyone has to stay home. So there's no you're not missing out on any fun people aren't going on holidays and going to parties and you can't go we're all stuck in our houses so
1: oh, yeah both me and Seb are big fans of Freud as well so you know collective misery is uh, a wonderful human mm-hmm. thing you know
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah it's exactly it's like well I'm really unhappy so I want all of you to be too yeah
2: it's comforting isn't it It let's hope our listeners understand that was a joke
3: (laughs) yes no it definitely definitely was I think I think it's just to know that you're all in it together whereas when you're going through a diagnosis you're going through treatment you can feel quite alone and disconnected from your like your friends and your family whereas this time we're doing this together like we're all in this together and I think that's probably a bit of a, a brighter way to look at it
2: Yeah. And it might be that as a cancer patient, having undergone, I mean, extensive chemotherapy and more to that, having been isolated as well, you might be in a better situation to cope with the corona crisis as well than your average Joe or Joanna.
3: Exactly. I think I'm just a bit more used to it. So I've still got, you know, I've got like a box of of activities, you know, like Painting or puzzles that I have left over from treatment that I can dip in and out of, and it did it like it sort of made me laugh because at the start of all of this, I saw on social media everyone was you know creating routines, showing how they were going to be doing workouts every day, showing like all the creative projects that they were starting, and I was like, give it a couple of weeks, guys. You will be sitting on the couch watching daytime TV all day, just like (laughs) me. The (laughs) best part of TV, right? (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Let's start off with a small game, and uh, I'm sure you've done it before. It's called What Would You Rather?
3: Oh, okay. Yes, (laughs) so
2: let's do it. Fabian, kick it off.
1: Okay, Georgie, uh, what would you rather do? Sleep standing for the rest of your life or have three ducklings follow you around 24-7 commenting on every move and everything you do in a spiteful or almost hateful way?
3: Oh my gosh, I thought that was going to be the easiest thing ever. I was going to say the ducklings. Um, (laughs) But I still think I'm going to have to pick the ducklings. I think they would just be the cutest, most... Sadistic little ducklings ever.
1: Yeah.
2: So imagine they would they would follow you around and always ask you, why did you do that? So why, why did you do why? that?
1: And also like, Georgie, you're worthless.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, these are horrible ducklings. Yeah,
1: they are. They yeah, are. they hate you. It's not a... It's not a <laughs> It's not a Disney movie. I
3: literally, it just shows how strange my head is because I'm still going the ducklings. I just want them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take them.
2: That's very good. Uh, We're going to send you three ducklings and uh, we have an answer. (laughs) So that's fantastic. I'm going to pose another question to you. So listen carefully. What would you rather? Would you rather eat only broccoli for the rest of your life or... Be a broccoli sprout with human senses, mind and abilities every other day and have eternal life.
3: Oh, eat broccoli every day. Eat broccoli every day. Eat broccoli every day (laughs) because one, I think an eternal life would be really long. And my my, my initial thought was, if I was a broccoli on every other day, what happens if a bird wanted to try and eat me? Or what happens if I started crumbling? Or I just thought, no, that's too much stress. I'll eat broccoli. <laughs>
2: and imagine waking up next to a broccoli sprout that talks to oh, you. I God. mean, that would be, yeah.
3: That'd be interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> Indeed.
1: <laughs> so, what mm-hmm. happens now? What is the plan for the future? Are you going to back career-wise? Are you uh, going to stay around in London? What's what are your thoughts?
3: I think it's funny and I was really hope I think I said earlier, you know people think that when you get cancer for a lot of people it's they get this immediate light bulb moment and it's this is what I want to do with my life it's this job it's this, and I haven't had that so specifically, but what I have learned is that whatever I do, I need to be doing something where I'm helping others. I need a job where I'm giving something back or giving something to the community because I've learned that that is what fills me with joy and as like it sounds really sort of self-gratuitous is I want to do something because it makes me feel good but that's exactly what I want to do and so I think from now on it's going to be focusing on how I can like develop this incredible opportunity I've had you know through growing my social media and supporting others in the community and how I can do that as a career I think Um, I yeah, I think that's... You're going to make, <laughs> make cancer your
1: cancer your life mission.
3: Well, this is where I'm a bit undecided because I have days where I think I want to, you know, work with cancer charities and support people with cancer. And then I have other days where I just think, oh, I never want to remember cancer ever again. Mm. Um, but I think the immediate future for me after this pandemic will hopefully be take a very nice long holiday <laughs> Mm. and then maybe come back and and figure out what the future holds for Georgie.
1: Yeah,
2: that sounds like a plan. And unfortunately, now we've come to the end of this episode, which really, yeah, it's it's always sad to say goodbye. But I mean, from our perspective, you're such an inspiration, Georgie. Uh, You're helping Mm. so many people and you have so much sound advice for our listeners and for ourselves as well. So we really want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish you happy recovery. And hopefully this pandemic is over soon so you can go out and dance in the fields, right? In Hyde (laughs) Park. Exactly,
3: exactly. Definitely, that's all I'm after right now. But I have really loved being on this podcast with you guys and I really appreciate you asking me. It's a really special thing to be able to connect with other people and especially you guys and, and what you're doing with your War on Cancer app. I think it's really important. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Georgie. And the next time we're in the UK, whenever this pandemic is over, we'll have a bottle of champagne together. Oh,
3: that sounds brilliant. I mean, to be honest, at this rate, with all the holidays I'm planning, I may be in Sweden before you know it. Ooh.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a plan as well. <laughs> cool. Okay. Thank you very much, Georgie. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Bye. What an
1: inspiring woman. I love her. I felt throughout this whole conversation that she is like a sister to me. I mean, not because we have the same diagnosis or anything, because we don't, but just her mindset. Uh, I can relate to a lot of her thoughts and keeping that positive mindset throughout, it is so inspirational to listen to.
2: Yeah, I think you have the same sort of positive mind growth. I don't even know how to pronounce it. My Post-traumatic oh, yes. growth.
1: Yes. Yeah. Post-traumatic growth, definitely.
2: Yeah, I feel rejuvenated with energy just by just by speaking with Georgie, to be honest, and I'm so happy that her checkup went well.
1: Yes, I think uh, she's destined for great things. Yeah, to
2: say the least, and um, now we're actually at the end of season one. That went by fast,
1: quickly and dramatically, I would say. Yeah. Because of Corona. Yeah.
2: And I would like to give a shout out to our chief marketing officer, Anusha Nayar. She forced us in a friendly way to step out of our comfort zone and really do this for the benefit of our listeners and ourselves, I would say.
1: Yes, and I'm really excited about season two. Yeah. So
2: on the topic of season two, what do you want to cover? Like just initial thoughts. What have we missed? What do you want us to talk about?
1: absolutely i think that we need to get an oncologist in there a doctor that has been treating cancer patients yeah we need to probably get someone to talk to about physical exercise ways that you can uh, use that to increase your energy and possibly your cancer surviving we should get politicians in there as well people from sort of like more top-level decision makers decision makers yes i agree with that everybody talks about patient-centric delivery of care but what does it mean and how will we get there because i don't think it's moving fast enough
2: i totally agree with you and i would like to think that we can move away perhaps from theory and get more into practice So everybody's talking about personalized and individualized care and everything that you can do to improve your healthy lifestyle as something more theoretic. But what everybody that is listening to us, I think, is sort of counting on is how can they put this theory into practice. I would like to focus more on practice and how people can use the knowledge that we capture during season two in order to better their own lives.
1: Absolutely. And if any listeners have any suggestions to us, feel free to shoot those over to us either via the app or...
2: You can find our contact details on the website warmcancer.com as well. We would highly appreciate that because this is uh, season two is uh, as well as season one it's for you the listeners so season two will air uh, in the fall of 2020 so pretty soon sooner than i would have imagined stay tuned for more updates on WarOnCancer.com, and please subscribe to our newsletter or connect with any one of us on the war on cancer app so uh, we'll see you uh, in a couple of months
1: see you in a couple of months and have a great summer goodbye
2: goodbye